Well, I'll be finishing out this uh, sermon series on covenants by looking at the covenant of them all from Jeremiah chapter 31. It is called the new covenant or the covenant of fulfillment. And it is indeed the climax of all the covenants of grace that we have talked about in the previous five sermons. So Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, this is one of the most important Bible passages in all the Bible. And as you read through it and say, where is he, he getting this? I hope by the end of this sermon you'll say, oh, that's why he said what he said, that this is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. Uh, so Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 31, this is God's word. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. As I mentioned just a minute ago, this is one of the most important passages in all the Bible because it, it really gives us uh, the, the climax the grand finale of, of covenant theology by talking about this covenant that was made with God the Father and Jesus the Son. And Jesus the Son is the one who fulfills the covenant of grace on our behalf. And so as we look through this text, it is rich and it is filled with a lot of meat and a lot of content. And so bear with me as we get into a lot of it. But as we look at it this morning, I'm gonna be addressing two questions. First is, uh, what is new about this new covenant? And second, how is the new covenant different from the old covenant? So the first question is, what is new about the new covenant? Uh, this is the only time in the Old Testament where we see the phrase new covenant mentioned. It's also where we get the title New Testament from. New covenant meaning New Testament. And so the New Testament is really all about these verses right here in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34. But what does the new covenant mean? What does the word new mean? Well, you and I, whenever we hear the word new, we think about brand new. We think about utterly new, where something is, is brand spanking new, right? That's what we think about. But that's not what Jeremiah was writing about. That's not what he was thinking about when he used the word new in this term. Uh, Jeremiah, he, he used the Hebrew word new, which means kadosh, and it means to be renewed. It means to be renovated. It means to be rebuilt. It means to be refreshed. I bring all this up because a lot of churches today and a lot of churches uh, outside of our denomination would say the new covenant is completely different than the old covenant in that it is brand new. And I would say that's not what Jeremiah meant. What Jeremiah meant when he called it and termed it the new covenant was, is that it is a covenant that has been renovated. A covenant that has made great improvements to the foundation that has already been laid. A covenant of grace that 
tells the story and really completes the story of the covenant of grace and all the covenants made before it. So it's part of a much bigger story of the covenant of grace. So as Jeremiah used the term new covenant, he's not saying this is completely different than all the old covenant and all the, and all the, the covenants of grace mentioned before, but this is a renovation. This is an improvement upon what was already built. One of my favorite TV shows is Extreme Home Makeover. And I love it because of the message. Most of the time, there was a family who went through trauma, whether they had a disability happen or a death take place. And their home that they were living in was not one that was accessible to their disability or to their situation after the trauma took place. And so Extreme Home Makeover, the, the makers of this show, they would get wind of these stories and they would rally the troops and rally the volunteers to go and to, free of charge, offer their services to help renovate homes for people who were in dire need. My favorite story was uh, from a family in California. Uh, they were named the Renati family or the Rapati Pierce family. Uh, this was back in 2006. Uh, both uh, the husband, Tim, and the wife, Christina, they were cops for LAPD. And Christina was called one day to go, and uh, her call was to, to go and find out what was going on with an armed robbery. And when she got there on the scene, she was shot. She was immediately rushed to the hospital, and she was paralyzed after that. Well, when Extreme Home Makeovers got, uh, got word of this story, they said, uh, we understand that this family their home was not accessible for her condition and her being in a wheelchair. And so what they did was they had 700 volunteers and they completely renovated their two-story home to make it handicap accessible. They also put windows all around because they were on the beach and they could observe God's beautiful creation. An incredible story of a makeover. I bring this up because if you were ever to sell a house what would the realtor say? They would say, what improvements have you made? And if you haven't made any, you probably need to make some before you put your house on the market. Because what happens when you make improvements to your house and you sell it? The value of the house typically goes up. I bring this up because the new covenant that Jeremiah was writing about and speaking about was a great renovation to what was already laid before. It was a new addition to the original covenant that was placed. I bring this up because, again, as you read through the Old Testament, you will see a story of God's covenant grace unfold uh, throughout centuries and throughout the history of the Old Testament. And you see its fulfillment and completion in this last covenant, the covenant with Jesus in Jeremiah 31. It's amazing. So that's what we mean when we say new covenant. It isn't brand new or utterly new, but it is a great improvement and a great renovation. Uh, the second question I'll address, though, is how is the new covenant different than the old covenant? Although uh, it, it is a part of the covenant of grace, there are still some differences in this covenant and the covenants that were made uh, previously. And what we see here is as we read through Jeremiah 31, there's a certain word that keeps appearing in the verses before I read and the verses after. And that word is behold. Behold. Now, when you think of the word behold, it really means to consider, it means to gaze thoughtfully, it means to observe. And there are certain times in our lives where 
we behold something of great value where we really take it all in and we observe it and we gaze upon it. I think about when my wife walked down the aisle. That was a gaze and that was where I was beholding that moment, right? I was looking at her and saying, this is a huge moment. Not only uh, am I marrying up, but here I am and I'm about to marry this woman who's gonna be my bride the rest of my life. Another day where you were beholding of something was uh, when your child entered this world or when you adopted a child and they entered your family. That was a day where you just looked at it and you said, wow, and you're gazing upon that moment. It, it also could have been other big moments in your life, like when your, your child or your grandchild graduates from high school. That's a moment where you just look at it and you're gazing upon it and you're carefully considering all the history behind it and the story behind it. That word behold is important for us as we look at the new covenant because it's mentioned three times from verses 27 through 40. And in order to understand what I'm talking about this morning, about it being a new covenant, you have to understand the full context of this prophecy of Jeremiah. So we're gonna look at three behold words in verses 27 through 40. The first is Jeremiah 31 verse 27. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. That's the first, behold, the days are coming. The second time it's mentioned, verse 31, I've already read. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And now we get to the end of the chapter, verse 38. A third time we are to behold something, gaze thoughtfully at it and consider it. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord. Notice three different times in 14 verses, you see the same phrase, behold, the days are coming. Behold, the time is coming. Behold, the days are coming. This tells me we need to take note of the whole context of what's going on here with the new covenant. So first, Jeremiah 31, 27, and 28. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast, and it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. What is going on here? Jeremiah is prophesying through the mouth of God to a people who were very discouraged. These people were living in exile. They were away from their homeland and they were thinking to themselves, okay, is God really going to keep his promise to us? Is he going to reunite us together and bring us back to our homeland where we can worship God freely? Right here, the first behold that we are to thoughtfully consider is Jeremiah saying, behold, the days are coming when God will bring his people back together to their homeland. They will worship me freely and they will be together in great community once again. You know what's neat about this? Is it happened already. The first behold that we are to, take, to look at is, hey, this actually happened. Several years after this prophecy was given in 539, King Cyrus of Persia, he allowed God's people to come back to their land to reunite with one another and to worship him freely. 
So right here, we have seen throughout history that the first prophecy, the first thing we are to behold, has been fulfilled. Praise the Lord. That's part of the new covenant. You go on to chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And look at this. It's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Let me stop there. Okay, what's going on here is he's now saying, behold, the time is coming. Okay, we are to gaze at what he's talking about right here, what Jeremiah is saying right here. And he's saying, there will be a time when a new covenant will come and it will be different than the old covenant in that people will actually be able to keep the covenant. They will no longer break the covenant. What Jeremiah was referring to was the Mosaic covenant that God's people broke. It was the covenant of law that God's people broke time and time and time again. And even to go beyond that, you can look at all the other covenants that were made with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David, and you can see a storyline of God's people not keeping their end of the agreement. Covenant breakers is the term that we often use. But as you look at the new covenant, Jeremiah all of a sudden says, there's gonna be a time when the people of God will be able to keep the covenant and not break it anymore. You know, what's fascinating as you study the, the whole covenant of grace and you study this beautiful story of, of covenant after covenant after covenant, you can see a common theme of God initiating a relationship with his people and he's saying, here's my terms of the agreement. Here's what I promise to offer and give you. And then he says, and now I expect you to be loyal to me. I expect you to keep your end of the agreement too. And what happens consistently to God's people? They break the covenant. They don't keep the covenant. But what does God do? He always keeps the covenant. We see that, we, we have seen that throughout the last four sermons, how God's people would constantly break the covenant. Think about after God started the covenant of grace by promising Adam and Eve, out of your line will come a seed who will destroy the serpent. He will be the, the snake crusher, the serpent crusher. And then right after Adam and Eve take place, we learn about Cain and Abel. And then it gets so bad that God sent a flood. So God's people broke the covenant. So God had to enter into another covenant with Noah. And he said, okay, Noah, I'm allowing you because you are faithful to stay faithful to me, build an ark. I'm gonna wipe out mankind because of their sin and their disobedience and they keep breaking the covenant. But I want you to be faithful, build an ark, and then out of your line, we'll continue this covenant promise. Fortunately, Noah and his family built the ark. The waters came flooding down. And then as they receded, Noah then enters the world again, re-enters society, and he's able to start all over again. It's called the covenant of stability and preservation. God preserved the world out of his grace. But yet, what happened shortly after Noah arrived on the scene? He gets drunk. And then as time goes on, Noah and his descendants, they end up sinning and sinning and sinning, and they create a big tower, the Tower of Babel, 
and God confuses their language and he spreads all the people around, or he spreads them all out around the world and he says, this is because of your sin. Right after God's people once again broke the covenant, God again initiates another covenant with Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm calling you to be the father of a great nation and by the way, your descendants will will be together and they'll have a land that I'll give them. Well, what happened after God made this covenant promise with Abraham? Abraham, he takes matters in his own hands and he sins. There's sin after sin after sin. And so what does God do? He has to then give his people the law. And so he makes a covenant with Moses and he says, okay, Moses, I'm now going to give my people that have come out of the line of Abraham, I'm gonna give them this law so that when they get into the land that I promised Abraham, they will Obey it, and it will be a guide for them. What happened when the people got into the land? They disobeyed the law. (laughs) So what does God do? He says, all right, my people keep breaking the covenant, so I'm gonna give them another covenant, the covenant with David. I'm gonna give them a king, because maybe they'll just have a king that can rule over them and that can help them continue to keep their end of the covenant agreement. And what happens after David's covenant? was made, well, we know the story about David and how he sinned against God. And then it got so bad that God sent his people away from their homeland and divided them. But now we get to Jeremiah 31, and here's the last covenant, and the covenant of grace. And God says, you know what? I'm now going to fulfill the covenant. And there's gonna be a day now where you will be able to keep the covenant And here's how you'll be able to keep the covenant. Verse 33, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Right here, God is saying, no longer will I write these laws on tablets, but I'll write them on the people's hearts. I'll write it in their minds. I'll engrave the law within them by sending my spirit to indwell within them so that they are enabled to keep the law finally. Ezekiel 36, he prophesied it this way. God said, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Right here, Ezekiel saying through God, He's saying one day God will send his spirit on his people in a profound, mighty way and they will be able to keep the covenant that God made with them finally. Well, here's the good news. Jesus came, he died for our sins. He's forgiven our sins. When Jesus ascended into heaven, what happened? The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in Acts chapter two and the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God has spread throughout the world and he's made tremendous impact on believers throughout the world. So the Holy Spirit's not just going to be for the people of Israel. He's now going to be indwelling in people all around the world. 
Now, in the Old Testament, people became Christians because the Holy Spirit changed them, just like they do today. But what Jeremiah was talking about was the Holy Spirit's going to fill Christians up in a mighty way, and it's going to be a worldwide impact. And because the Holy Spirit is now indwelling in that kind of rich way for Christians all around the world, they're going to be able to obey the covenant for the first time. So here's the good news. The good news is, is that prophecy is starting to play itself out today. It's starting to play itself out today because we're able to resist Satan, we're able to say no to sin, and we're able to, to say yes to Jesus and follow him. That's the good news. But there's bad news too. The bad news is, is the new covenant hasn't completely reached its end. It's still going on because you and me are still sinners. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit filling us up telling us to say no when temptation comes, and maybe half the time, maybe a quarter of the time, maybe a tenth of the time, we say no. But the rest of the time, we give in to our sin. And let's be honest, you and me, all of us in this room, we sin. We sin every day. We struggle. We also, at times, do what is right because Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. But at the same time, we sin. Why do I share this with you? Because the new covenant is still working itself out. We're still living in the days of the new covenant and it hasn't reached its completion. Theologians, they, they, they call it three stages of Christ's kingdom. They say first, when Christ came, he inaugurated his kingdom on this earth. He came to this earth and he established his kingdom as king and he said, I'm here, I'm the king, so now I want all of my, uh, my people to rally underneath my authority. He inaugurated his kingdom. When he died and rose again and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and is spreading throughout the world, we see God's kingdom expand and grow. So his kingdom is now in a season or in a phase that is continuation. We're continuing to build upon that kingdom that was laid by Jesus when he came here. And you and I right now in 2022 are in that second phase of continuation. But here's the thing. It's not over yet. And the new covenant hasn't reached its fulfillment yet. Because let me read verse 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What Jeremiah was saying here is he's saying there's going to be a day where you'll no longer need preachers. You'll no longer need evangelists. You'll no longer need to tell people about Jesus. There's going to be a day where you'll no longer have street preachers. You'll no longer have tracts to hand out to people. You'll no longer have evangelism explosion. You'll no longer have the four spiritual laws to hand out, whatever method you use to tell people about Jesus. Verse 34 saying there's going to be where, a day where you won't need that anymore. So my question to you is, do we need that right now? Yes. Yes. We need people to tell other people about Jesus because there's still sin in this world. Jesus hasn't come back. 
I bring this up because we are still living in the new covenant era. We're in that continuation phase and we're not yet at the consummation phase. But the good news is this. As you go towards the end of Jeremiah, you get to that third behold word. And what does God say in verse 38? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go out farther straight to the hill Garib and shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. Now you might be reading this and saying, Seth, I've never read this before and I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> That's okay. Let me explain it briefly. What God is saying right here is there will be a day when my people will be with me forever in my holy city, my kingdom. Jeremiah 31 is talking about the end of all time. He's talking about the return of Christ. And we see similar language being written by John in Revelation 21 when he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be with his people or they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he who was seated on the throne said, here it is, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give you the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Right here, Revelation 21 is talking about when Jesus returns, the holy city of Jerusalem is gonna come to this earth, make all things new. No more sin, no more Satan, the end. This goes back to Jeremiah 31, where the new covenant will be complete. I bring this up because consummation is that third phase of God's kingdom. And you and I need to be prepared that it can be coming here very soon. The time is ready, declares the Lord, for all of us to be prepared for the new covenant to reach its climax completely, and we are to wait for the grand finale. So again, as we look at covenant theology, we have to see it's an incredible story of God making a promise to his people that I will be your God and you will be my people. And he is the one <laughs> who will play things out according to his way and according to his word. So as you read Jeremiah 31, know that there's still more to come but be thankful for what God has done for you and me in this season of life and history.